Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hi, everyone. I want to talk today about how important it is for us to prepare our dogs for real life rather than cry about not being able to handle real life. So I'm going to go through a variety of scenarios in which I regularly see folks complaining about reality rather than preparing their dogs for reality. We may as well start with everybody's favorite off-leash dogs approaching your on-leash dog or even approaching your off-leash dog. But generally speaking, when you're out and about in the world with your dog, other people's dogs are not going to be trained. They're not going to have a recall. And if they're off-leash, which they will be, whether it's legal or not, they're going to approach your dog. I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating that yelling at people to get a hold of their dogs, yelling at people to call their dogs, or generally speaking, getting angry about this experience is not helpful. Now, you're entitled to feel however you feel about these situations. Being angry about somebody's dog approaching yours when you're just trying to have a nice outing with your dog, is warranted and completely fair. It is the behaviors that come along with human anger that are usually unhelpful for the entire scenario. If your dog is reactive, aggressive, afraid, your aggressive or fearful behavior towards the person and their dogs will not help and usually makes things worse. And posting in your neighborhood group or just to your general friends on Facebook about how rude it is that somebody's dog approached yours in a leash required area, etc., etc. How about you prepare yourself and your dog for the inevitable? Because if you take your dog anywhere where other people might be with their dogs, this is inevitable. So a few things. Number one, Safety first. If your dog is actually going to harm somebody else's dog when they approach, your dog should actually be in a muzzle. And people get really mad at me about this. They're saying, well, my dog is on leash. He shouldn't have to be wearing a muzzle. That dog should be under control, shouldn't be off leash. I don't disagree with you. And yet, if your dog causes harm to that other person's dog or causes harm to that other person when they come try to remove their dog you're still gonna get in trouble. And if you have a breed that is frequently villainized, like say any sort of pity or bully type, you're going to be in even bigger trouble than somebody else. And so you even have a bigger responsibility to make sure that your dog doesn't cause any damage to anyone. If you have a dog that will bite and cause harm to somebody else's dog that approaches you, I recommend teaching that dog to be really comfortable in a well-fitting, breathable, comfy basket muzzle. 
and using it, especially in those scenarios where you're just likely to run into this problem. Of course, do I think you should curate your outings to hopefully avoid that issue? Yes. But if you know that that issue is likely at all, you want to protect your dog from causing that harm by using that muzzle. I would also recommend that you carry some kind of deterrent. I like spray shields. Some folks like to use the pet corrector. I wouldn't really recommend using pepper spray. But carry something that can stop an altercation without you sticking your hands in the altercation. So those are your safety measures that you can take, but also there's training you can do. I would highly recommend teaching your dog some skills like default loose leash walking, like a sit stay, like responding to collar pressure so that if you move the dog behind you by putting your hand in the collar, they'll stay there while you deal with the problem. These are all training solutions that will help you manage the dog better. And you can also teach the dog some obediency type skills that will help the dog to follow you and take your directions in those situations so that perhaps you can evade the dog approaching you. And then of course, if the dog is barky lungy, maybe isn't dangerous in any way, but is overreactive to other dogs approaching, Working with a really qualified behavior consultant who doesn't tell you just to avoid the issue, who helps you to teach that dog to have better responses to other dogs is a very good idea. So now that we've ripped the Band-Aid off with the one that makes people the most pissed off, let's move on to a few more. Here's another thing that's going to happen. Restraint in veterinary settings. I don't care how beautifully you've trained all of your cooperative care skills. And in fact, if you have, hats off to you. There will be a time when your dog has to be restrained at the vet because either they don't know how to participate in the procedure because you can't train for everything, or the procedure is too painful or risky to be done restraint-free. These things are going to happen. They're going to show up. So even if your dog is trained to do restraint-free blood draws, vaccines, exams, that is all wonderful. But the day that your dog has a laceration that needs to be sutured, has perhaps a tumor that needs a fine needle aspirate and it's in a tough-to-reach spot, or any number of different veterinary procedures that we can't necessarily prepare the dog for, Teaching the dog to accept restraint is in your best interest. I think a lot of the time, just like people get angry with folks having their dogs off leash, people get angry with vet staff for just trying to do their job. Especially if you go into an emergency type of clinic and the staff does not know you and does not know your dog, they're going to need to work as quickly and efficiently as possible they are not going to have time to get to know all of the procedures that your dog understands. And they really have no reason to trust you and put the safety of their staff in your hands. In those scenarios, it's best if your dog is relatively comfortable with restraint. Where I am with my current cooperative care training is a heavy focus on this comfort. Your dog will have to be restrained at times, that's reality. Train for it, prepare for it. And again, we've got reason number two to train your dog to be comfortable wearing a muzzle. Another real life example is that 
people, adults and children alike, will approach and try to pet your dog. They will do so without asking. Sometimes they'll do so after asking and hearing no. This is largely a place to train yourself how to speak to people. I would not recommend teaching your dog to just tolerate being handled by the general public at all times. I don't think that's fair for the vast majority of dogs. But teaching your dog, again, some of those skills that you might use in the off-leash dog scenario, like yield to collar pressure, sit, stay, get behind me types of things, will help you here. If I see a little kid that is approaching my dog and they've got that look on their face and maybe their hands are outstretched, like they really want to say hi, the first thing I'm going to do is put myself between my dog and the child. And again, that's something my dog is trained to respond to and tolerate. I will then put my hand out towards the child and try to make eye contact. When they notice that you're trying to talk to them, they typically will stop. In fact, most little kids are kind of horrified that you talk to them. They have been taught stranger danger for the most part. And they usually kind of shrink back and go to their parents at this point. I don't waste time trying to engage the parents if the kids are already halfway to my dog and the parents have done nothing. If the parents are sitting back smiling as their adorable child approaches my dog they are not the type that is aware enough to do anything. I've got to intercept this child myself. I find dealing with little kids super easy because if you just connect to them, look in their face, you can even sometimes clap and get their attention. They will stop. They will listen to you. When their parents notice that you are trying to stop them, They'll usually sweep in and stop them for you because they didn't realize the danger until they saw you stopping the kid. I had a child um, running around at an agility trial once. He, he was no older than four years of age and he was just running back and forth, really causing a lot of people to shorten up on their leash and move their dog back. And he belonged to his father who was there running his own dog. And I got down on his level. I looked at his face. I said his name. He screeched to a halt and looked at me and I said, go back to your dad. Now, that didn't make me popular, but the kid was safer because I said that. And a sidebar, when parents stop their kids for you, when parents say you have to ask to their child, reinforce that whenever possible. I have one dog who really likes kids, so if she's with me and that happens, I will say absolutely you can say hi to this dog, but don't say but not this one and I'll point to the other dog that I have. If I don't have my kid-friendly dog with me, let's be honest, it's Rhea, of course, I will say, oh, no, he's in training or something to that effect. And I will say, but thank you very much for asking. Reinforcing human behavior wherever possible is a good idea. When it comes to adults who don't listen, who invade your space, etc., when it comes to your dog, you have got to get assertive with these people. So looking them in the face again, they're probably looking at your dog, trying to engage your dog. Break that eye contact. Put your dog behind you. Look them in the face. Teach your dog to be tucked behind you. Look them in the face. Say, do not touch my dog. If it's a chronic problem, sometimes I've had dogs who are afraid of strangers and also really unusual looking, and so strangers always wanted to approach them. I like to put a harness on that dog that says, in training, do not touch, or just do not touch. 
I need space or something like that is to me a little bit too soft, does not communicate the right thing. Do not touch, do not approach is usually the route that I take. And of course, you know me, we've got to have a couple of sports examples. Recently in a dog obedience competition, a judge insisted on putting his hand in Felix's collar to feel it. He believed that Felix might be wearing a hidden prong collar, which is against the rules in AKC uh, obedience trials. And so the judge didn't give me much time to think about it or respond. He just said, hold your dog's head, please. I need to check his collar. The judge did this to Felix twice over the weekend. So shame on me for not switching the collar out after the first time. But I thought the judge would remember us and not check a second time. And that was incorrect. This threw Felix off his game a little bit. He was very good and tolerated it, but it's not something I trained for because it's not something I knew existed. And it clearly affected his behavior in the ring. I was upset about that, but the reality is now that I know that's a thing, I can choose to use a different collar or I can train for that scenario. And those are actually the only two responses that I get to have. I also in that moment could have not allowed the judge to check his collar. I probably would have been excused for doing so, but I could have stopped the man from actually touching my dog. Same kind of stuff in obedience. The ring stewards are going to approach you. They're going to approach your dog. They are volunteers who often have had on the day of training who don't really know how stuff is supposed to work. They're probably a member of this club and they've been volunteered as tribute by somebody higher up and they don't really know how the obedience trial goes. This happens all the time and they make mistakes. Training my my dog to be prepared for as many of the possible mistakes they could make is on me, is my responsibility. So rather than being irritated that these volunteers have done something incorrectly, I can train my dog for that scenario. Another example would be that my dumbbell and leash were placed on the same chair for me to collect my leash at the end of the run. There's an exercise where I have to leave my dog in a standstay, leave the ring, pick up my leash, come back in the ring, go back to my dog and put my leash on. Typically your dumbbell is in a different spot. The dumbbell and leash had been placed on the same chair and the leash had become tangled around the dumbbell just by the way that the dumbbell was set down. The fact that I had to pick up the dumbbell to untangle my leash to return to my dog was something Felix was not prepared for. He saw me pick up the dumbbell. He got very excited. I had not proofed to enough of a level that he could tolerate that, and he broke a stay, and he did flunk that day on that exercise. So (laughs) what did I do? I went to the drawing board, and I made sure that he was prepared for that next time. I made sure that I could walk over and pick up his favorite toy, and he would still hold that standstay. Should I have taught him that in the first place? You could argue I would. I should have. I was unprepared for the dumbbell being in that spot as none of the videos or previous runs I had watched to prepare myself had that particular challenge. But again, it's a live and learn situation. It's not a complain situation, it's a train situation. And finally, as much as I would love for everybody to train their dogs to maintain some level of decorum, ringside, and agility. I know that the reality is that folks aren't going to. The culture in agility is that the dogs can be wildly outside of their own mental control, let alone the person's. And so my dog has to tolerate that kind of stuff. My dogs don't see that kind of stuff in training a lot. I train 
with one other person or alone most of the time, and we all kind of have the same culture around our dogs. We'd like our dogs to be able to listen, respond to cues, wait in downstays, you know, crazy stuff like that. And so my dogs aren't really used to barking and lunging and um, dogs racing outside the ring to grab their toys and such, but they have to be. That's what agility trials look like. And so I have to prepare them for that stuff. A client of mine was at a recent trial where there were two small dogs chained to the fence near the practice jump. And the third small dog was working the practice jump and all three of them were barking maniacally. And that was what was being done to help, quote unquote, help the dogs be ready to go into the ring. And her dog is young and is working through some dog feelings. And yeah, that was really challenging for him. But the conversation I had with her was, yeah, you know, I wish that's not what you had to deal with as well, but it is. And so put it on the list. We will work towards him being able to do that. And then some, I like dogs that have behavioral concerns to be able to engage in sports. But the reality is that those dogs do have to be able to tolerate a lot of stuff to be able to be there. It would be a more welcoming environment if everybody's dogs were kept, you know, reasonably composed. I don't want them to be robots. I don't want them to be zombies. But being chained to a fence and screaming and choking yourself is a really, you know, there's a lot of stuff in between being a robot and doing that. But the reality is what it is. And so I prepare my dogs for the entire spectrum of reality that will happen at agility trial. So whatever reality is that you happen to inhabit, learn as much as you can and then prepare for it. All right, and let's get into a few Patreon questions. The first one comes from Kim. Kim writes, are there ways to help dogs conceptualize increasing limitations due to age, i.e. before their bodies actually limit their intense physical activity, can I help them learn to dial down how hard they go? In my experience, adding actual physical restraint, leashes, etc., just increases their intensity when released. Kim, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think there's a way to teach them to be less when they are, when everything inside them is telling them to be more. I was just having this conversation with a friend regarding Felix, who's eight and a half years old and isn't ever going to slow down. I mean, when I let him out the door, he does like a 360 flip off the porch and so that he can bite at the shrubbery on his way to the ground and then he lands and sprints off barking like that's who he is as a person and what that means is I have to support his body into old age and I have to allow his body to slow him down now what I can do is do less and less intense physical activity that I have planned for him like we can do more sniffy stuff we can do more lower impact stuff than the agility and the retrieves over jumps and things like that. But in general, like this is who he is. He's going to be jumping out of airplanes until the day he dies. Like that's just who he is as a person. And so I don't think we can. If anybody knows better than me, they should chime in. But I really, I don't think we can. And Kim also mentioned that she checked out the Super Seniors podcast and there was a lot of good stuff in there. But we didn't answer this question because I don't think there is an answer to this question. Next one comes from Jordan. Jordan writes, I recently brought home my very first 
own dog, a six month old border collie puppy. We are struggling with two things. One, extreme anxiety, excessive panting and drooling and desperate attempts to escape in areas as familiar as right outside my apartment and potty training. She has multiple accidents in her crate every day and is more than happy to lie down in it. She will use the washroom outside and still have an accident in her crate once she gets in within less than an hour. I'm seriously at a loss here and not sure what else I can do differently. I've never struggled this much with housebreaking before, so any tips are appreciated. Jordan, I think that your house training issue is directly related to the anxiety issue, and I think the anxiety issue is big enough to warrant medication. So I would say the thing that you need to do is get in touch with a veterinary behaviorist or a veterinarian who is well-versed in behavior and get this dog on some pharmaceutical support. That's my opinion based on a tiny little snapshot that you just told me is that probably... If you reached out for me for coaching, I probably wouldn't start you until this dog had been seen by a veterinary behaviorist. I This sounds intense, this sounds like a lot, and I'm so sorry that you're going through it, but that is the biggest first piece of advice I have for you. If the dog can't go outside without experiencing that much anxiety, then certainly the dog's going to have some serious potty training issues. I would be inclined to set up an area inside for this dog to potty. So I would set up a big long X-Pen that had a potty area, like a litter box type area on one end, and then her bedding and her food and her water on the other end so that she's not laying down in her mess in a crate. That's not something any dog actually wants to do, but if they happen to do that in that small space, they're not going to stand all day. So they are eventually going to lie down and it's not good for her to practice that behavior and get desensitized to it either. So for sure, set up that kind of area for her. Stop taking her outside if she'll use the litter box reliably. And that's not for life. That's while we get that anxiety under control and then reach out to a veterinary behaviorist and get going with them. Next one's from Althea. Althea writes, I have a 19-week-old cardigan corgi puppy named Mars. I've been noticing a behavior of his that appears to be frustration slash arousal biting. Is this just hurting puppy stuff or is this something I should put on my training radar before it gets out of hand? Example, he was in a new to him yard and I could see he was very excited. After a few minutes of checking things out and going potty, he started to get the zoomies, but instead bit down on a piece of turf and started wildly tugging. I had a few other examples that I have seen from him, but can add to this later if it's not just puppy stuff. So In your example, he bit the ground or the turf and started tugging. In your first sentence, you say biting, and so I think he's biting you. So I'm not sure what the entire picture is, but based on what I've got, it sounds extremely normal, and it sounds like you just want to direct it to the places that you want it to go. So lots of toys, lots of tugging, also 19 weeks is young, really young, allow the puppy to grow up, teach the puppy a lot of skills. If the puppy gets pissed at you and is trying to affect your behavior with biting, that's the only time that I would think about doing something about it. And I would definitely get professional help to do so. Otherwise it probably is normal. Some puppies are just extremely bitey and are extremely bitey for a very long time. Rhea certainly was, and other puppies aren't. So most of the corgis, both cardigans and pembrokes that I've known, are pretty bitey during puppyhood. And so this sounds normal to me, but I don't have the entire picture. So think about that question. Is the puppy trying to control my behavior or make, basically is the puppy trying to make me stop doing something by biting me? 
that's the only thing that I would kind of dig in on and work on. And I would dig in on it by helping the puppy understand what you want rather than putting the puppy in a frustrating scenario. And last one for this week comes from K-Sand. My dog is a 10-month-old working Kelpie. He can be reactive to strange men and children, whether he's on or off leash, and he crouches way down and stalks and stares at anything approaching us on walking trails. This makes it pretty impossible to take a walk in places where there are people coming toward us. His stalking behavior is so intense that it gets attention from people going by, which then makes him more reactive because the people focus on him more and turn towards him. If he is standing up and walking normally, the people barely notice him and it is much easier for him to ignore them. He is not reactive to dogs and generally has good dog-dog social skills. He also wants to stalk, stare, lunge at cars. He tends to be on the sensitive, fearful side in general, but if he has the opportunity to approach men or children off-leash, he will go right up to them and bark like crazy with his hackles raised. I've been working on look at that and desensitization from a distance, but I wonder if the best strategy for all of this is working really hard on teaching him a solid heel and or watch me while on leash. Or maybe the hurting behaviors are too strong and need to be addressed in a different way. This is my first hurting breed, so I'm not sure how to address them and they really limit where I can go to walk him. He will be taking sheep herding lessons in the spring, so I don't want to necessarily train him out of his hurting instincts. I just need him to use them appropriately. All right, friend, I'm going to do the best I can to help you, but this is some big stuff and certainly a little bit bigger than a Patreon question. I hope that you will join us over in the membership where we can dig in a little bit more on these behaviors for you. But let me get started by saying having a working Kelpie as your first ever herding dog is like going to Mardi Gras as your first ever parade. So it makes sense that you're struggling And it's okay because there's a lot that you can do differently. You're already thinking smart in the teach him to do something else variety. I would absolutely be teaching him actively to work through these scenarios because that's what he's designed to do is work. Teaching him to heal specifically with his head up, specifically in what I call anti-sticky-stocky bullshit (laughs) mode, SSBS, which I say with love about my border collies, is what I would be doing. He should not be allowed to approach anyway, so I probably wouldn't have him off leash if there was a possibility of you running into anybody. This is not a full-blown behavior plan. If I gave you a full-blown behavior plan, there would be some stuff in there to help him feel safer and more comfortable around people. But you are absolutely correct to teach him to heal, heads up, walk next to you, work through these scenarios. The sticky stocky stuff, I believe strongly, is about insecurity, even when they're doing it on livestock. It is, ooh, I'm a little worried about all of these big moving animals. I'm going to do this because that's what my generations before me are telling me to do in my head. And then the outcome works for them. And so they keep doing it. I'm so glad that he's not reactive to dogs and has good dog-dog skills. It is awesome when you've got a dog that's having some struggles to have kind of one good thing going on for them. And using other dogs to help him would probably be part of my plan for you if we were to enter into a coaching relationship. You will not train out his herding instincts. So I'm super happy that he gets to actually go and do some herding. That's going to be really healthy for him. But teaching him to heal past these things, teaching him not to go into crouch mode in those scenarios is not going to harm his hurting instincts at all because he isn't hurting those things. He is doing the thing that he knows how to do to make him feel better in those scenarios. But like you said, if he can approach, he becomes aggressive 
And that point at which that he becomes aggressive probably has kind of a proximity attached. So it's kind of, if I'm at this distance, I'm gonna crouch to try to control you. But if I get into this distance, I'm gonna need to access other behaviors to try to control you. He is only 10 months old, he is a baby. I'd be working really, really hard on those skills, walking next to you, walking next to you with his head up, doing a sit stay, doing a paw wave, lots of different kind of behaviors that keep him moving his body and flowing and upright and not in a stocky mode at Best of luck to you again. I'd love to see you over in the membership. You got this. And that's it for this week, everybody. Thanks so much for your questions. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.